Welcome to the Choosing to Stay podcast. We're your hosts, Hallie Roderick and Stephanie Hamby, certified relationship and recovery coaches. And we specialize in supporting couples who are healing from infidelity and betrayal. We invite you to join us each week as we explore the challenges and joys of the recovery journey for couples who are choosing to stay in a relationship after betrayal. We'll encourage you with hope for healing and transformation. Connection, empathy, growth, choosing to stay. Welcome to today's episode where we're going to jump into a topic that sometimes is one of the first questions that couples ask after there's been a breach of sexual integrity in the relationship. And that question is, how do we even begin to heal after there's been a betrayal in the relationship? We're going to talk about some of the elements that need to be in place for the healing to start to happen. First of all, we just want to talk about how much courage it takes to step into this arena of looking at what it takes and doing the work to heal both individually and relationally. Holly and I were talking before, and I was just thinking how much boldness and courage that it takes for each individual, but also the relationship, the couples to step into this healing from the deep wounds and the pain that has come through this, the sexual integrity issues. And so I always want to just honor anybody who's, who takes those steps of courage because it it is, it's, you're stepping into the unknown. It's a big step forward towards positive and hopefully healthy growth in your life. Yeah. And I appreciate it. And before the show, we were talking about having the courage to step into becoming that person that God has called you to be, because we're not here to be wrapped up and tangled up in these wounds of hurt and betrayal. And there is a path to heal. There is a way through to heal through those things, both for the person that has the sexual integrity issues and for the partner who has been betrayed. And so we just want to offer hope, first of all, that there is a way. Yes, absolutely. That's the, that's the piece is the hope and knowing that there is a way forward in your life and you don't have to be stuck in this pain and trying to numb the pain for the rest of your life. There is a way forward. So I'm glad you mentioned that hope piece. So we're going to talk about a word today that based on our, both of our experience, sometimes can be a hard word for, especially the person who has the sexual integrity issues. And that word is safety. And that can be a big word because there's a lot to it and there's different elements to safety. And I just want to put out there first and foremost, that if there is physical safety in a relationship, if there is physical abuse or verbal or emotional abuse, then we're talking about a different level of safety than what we're going to address in this. I mean, these, the things we're going to address today apply as well, but if there is any form of abuse going on, then you need a different level of safety, a higher level of safety where you need to have some physical space where you can be safe. So if there is any abuse, please know that that we support and would encourage you to get the level of safety that you need. And maybe that means some physical safety. You might need to be in a different location. And so abuse should not be tolerated in any form. I love yeah. the, the definition of safety that we talked about at the beginning. Stephanie, do you want to share what that was? Yeah. So this is actually from psychology today, and I love how it was worded. Emotional safety is the visceral feeling of being accepted and embraced for who you truly are and what you feel and need. I think too, with the safety piece is that 
we're talking about a different level with the emotional safety. There's also this psychological safety and neurobiological safety that is involved in the topic of safety that we are discussing. And two, it is in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The safety piece is a foundational piece that all humans need and especially in relationship with others. So we need safety as far as our like living situations, but we also need the other person that we're in relationship to provide and help strengthen that safety piece. So that's kind of the way that we're using it here today. And I love how that definition kind of encapsulates what that means to just be able to show up in a relationship as who you truly are with the vulnerability and be accepted and loved. Yeah, so I think one of the the first key elements for relational safety after there's been a betrayal is that the sexual acting out, the sexual misbehaviors have halted. Those are no longer happening. So I think foundational to that is that the betrayed partner needs to see that you have a safety plan in place, that there have been thought out and purposefully and intentional things put in place in your life that are going to help you to stay out of those behaviors. And so that could look like a lot of things that could look like, okay, I have some new personal boundaries. I will not go to lunch with a member of the opposite sex. I will not have phone calls with members of the opposite sex. I have blocked certain numbers. I will avoid certain places. There's a million things that could be added to that based on each different situation. I think a a critical and key element to that is connection and being able to pull yourself out of the isolation that comes with the secrecy of betrayal. And let's talk a little bit about that piece of connection and what that looks like. Yeah. What we know from the sexual integrity issues is that the shame is what is promoting most of the behaviors. So the behaviors is what we see on the outside, but there's much more going on on the inside. And the shame tells the person lies and creates these maladaptive beliefs about who they are as a person and shame breeds in isolation. So trying to do this work alone is only breeding the the shame and, and the sense of isolation that you're alone in this or that no one has experienced it as bad as we're experiencing it. And shame tells you lies like that. So it's through connection, which is the antidote to addiction. And it's also the antidote to trauma and healing these wounds is that through connection with others, that that shame um, is brought out into the light. Mm-hmm. And that the reduction of shame gives you more courage and strength to step into this. And so it's through connection to God yourself exploring what is underlying the behaviors and what are the the wounds that are there that we're trying to avoid or numb or hide and then connection to others which looks like support groups finding a coach or a csat a trained professional who can help guide you in discovering this connection yeah i think back to some of my clients that i've worked with over the time And I think one of the roadblocks that some of them hit is if the person that has caused the betrayal refuses to look at that, that becomes a major safety issue for the person who has been betrayed. They can do a lot of their own healing. They can do a lot of their own individual work. 
And it seems to be a roadblock if the person is unwilling to get the support individually to look at what caused those behaviors in the first place. Like what was, what was underneath that led me to act outside of my values in that way? And if they just want to brush it under the rug or say, you know what, the behaviors have stopped. It's never going to happen again. Trust me, I'm done with those behaviors. I'll never hurt you like that again. The words sound nice, but there's something in the betrayed partner's brain that just really hits a roadblock with that. If they're unwilling to look at their own stuff that led them to make those choices. And so I think this piece of getting that support is so critical for their own safety to, to really have looked at what caused them to do this behavior, whether it's an addiction or whether it was infidelity or emotional affairs or, or whatever the behavior was, there was something that led you that some sort of unhealed wound inside of you that led you to make those choices. And I think that's so critical to be able to look at that, to create that piece of safety for the betrayed partner to be able to lean back in and go, okay, I can see that they have looked at what's led them to those behaviors. And I'm comfortable knowing that they have done the work to heal that part of them. So my chances of being wounded again are minimized. Have you seen that with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking on how this comes up so often is whenever the one with the sexual integrity issue starts doing the work to uncover the wounds through that self-reflection, they are able to better anticipate and make a plan for the future. So they are able to look back on past events of their lives and what basically triggered the acting out. And they're able to anticipate how to handle those in the future. And so that creates so much safety for the partner, knowing that there is, and it would be included in the safety plan that we're talking about. You can predict the future based on the past. And that is what helps make sense in the partner's brain. So it's very good for the one with sexual integrity issues. They begin to know themselves better, know how they react in situations, but it also helps a partner feel safer. And also it will promote the partner having more compassion for his journey and healing too, which I think is huge whenever they can come to that place, have compassion and empathy for each other to promote the healing. Yeah. yeah. Which leads me to my next thought about this, that kind of falls under this umbrella of knowing that the behaviors have stopped is maybe even a daily check-in where you're sharing the insights that are coming up as you're doing your work. And that creates that environment where empathy can even be opened because it's really hard for a betrayed partner to have any sort of empathy for the person that has caused the pain at the beginning. And the more vulnerability that they're able to have and the more that they're able to share the insights and the awarenesses that are coming up for them in their own individual work, I think it opens up that door for the potential for that empathy to come for both partners. And so some sort of daily check-in, and there's a lot of different ways that you can do a daily check-in, but a sharing and an openness about the insights that are coming up for both of them in their work can really kind of create a different environment in the relationship where there's a level of intimacy that probably hasn't been there up to this point. And so I think that is another key part of this is share your work with the betrayed partner so that they know and they can understand that you're 
having some awarenesses of the behaviors that led you to those choices. Yeah. And the, the check-ins also promote them showing up in an emotional conversation. So they're able to connect to the emotions, but also it reassures the partner that yes, this is where my integrity is. And this is the work that I'm doing around it. So the reassurance allows the partner to have more safety. The check-ins are huge. We should do an episode around what those look like. Yeah. Yeah. So with those check-ins, we've talked about the, the empathy piece from my training and my experience, the partner who has, has betrayed really needs to work on the empathy piece at the beginning and developing the space to hold her or him in their pain and really be able to tap into the emotions of what's happening and create a safe space. If we go back to that definition that you talked about at the beginning of being embraced for who you truly are and what you feel and what you need, creating that space where the partner can come to them when they're in pain and they can hold them in that pain. They can understand, they can have some empathy for them and create some reassurance for them. And having that safe space to come even when you're in pain is huge for the healing of the relationship. And so developing that empathy from the beginning for the person who has done the betraying, I think is critical. And with that empathy piece, showing up in empathy for your partner, it looks like making sure that they are being heard, that their pain is being heard. And you don't have to fix the situation immediately. It's just sitting with her or with a partner in the, in the pain that she's experiencing. And then also not minimizing or blame shifting or trying to deny what has happened. So her viewpoint becomes valid and what she's experiencing becomes valid. So yes, empathy is like the, the piece there where her voice can be heard and the pain that she's experiencing can be heard. Yeah. So what do you think if we throw out a few empathetic phrases? Because I think that sometimes people don't even know what that means. Like, what does empathy look like? How do I even show up in empathy for a partner? Some of the ones that come to my mind, and then Stephanie, I'd love to hear your thoughts, are are like an empathetic phrase is, tell me more about what you're experiencing, or I can see that you're in a lot of pain. Help me understand what's going on for you. Tell me what that experience was like for you. And, and then being able to validate that and say, based on what we've gone through and the things that have happened in our relationship, it makes sense why you would feel that way. And then following up with reassurance that I'm sorry that I have caused this pain for you. And I wanted to reassure you that I am doing everything I can to create a safe space for you and to never have those things happen again. Anything that comes to your mind as far as other empathetic phrases? Yeah, I think you touched on all the ones that were like right off the top of my head. I think the biggest piece with empathy and and showing up in a conversation, how you actually use your words, looks like you're acknowledging what your partner is experiencing. And that doesn't mean that you have to have a deep understanding or have experienced it yourself. 
but that you're showing up in a way that is saying, I can only imagine how this makes you feel. And it makes sense to me that you are feeling this due to my sexual integrity issues or due to this behavior. I can see why this would remind you of a behavior that I have done in the past, or I can see your viewpoint on how this is hurting you. And so it's acknowledging the pain specifically with empathy. This is about you and how this has made you feel. And I want to be here with you in this pain. Yeah. And so there's a few ideas for you as far as empathetic behaviors. And then there are a few that really stand out to me that are the total opposite of empathy. And that's what you were, I think, referring to with the blame shifting and the denial And this is where I think the, the partner who has caused the betrayal really has to do their own work because when they see their partner's pain, it makes sense that they would be activated themselves. And that shame piece that we referred to really comes to the surface for them. And so being able to manage what comes up for them when they see their partner in pain is a critical piece to this. And some of the phrases that are like the opposite of empathy. And in my mind, it's almost like if you see that your wife is in pain and you use some of these blame shifting and denial phrases, it's like throwing fuel on the fire and it just ignites her even more or him even more. And so it wasn't that big of a deal. That's not what it looked like. You're overreacting. If you would have done this, well, If we were having sex more often, if we were connecting more, I wouldn't have to go look for that. So any, any sort of thing that shifts the blame or shows up in defensive mode is the opposite of empathy and really being able to manage what comes up for you with the shame and being able to take ownership of the pain that has been caused and create a safe environment for them to show up in their pain and be able to express it. If you can do that and develop that skill, because I think it's a skill, it can be learned just like any other skill or any sort of, I think of it like a new language of communication. You can, you can learn a new language that can really be like a healing salve over the wounds of the heart. And so practicing that can be huge for creating a safe environment for the partner to heal. Absolutely. I think that it's important that we acknowledge what needs to happen when this kind of safety isn't being created. I think boundaries are critical for any healthy relationship. And if there's not safety being created in a relationship, a higher level of boundaries needs to be in place. Because if the partner who has done the betraying is either unwilling or unable to create an environment of safety, then the partner is responsible to create their own environment of safety to be able to put themselves in an opportunity, the right environment to heal. So relationally, we would hope that these safety behaviors could be put into place. And if they aren't, or until they can be, a higher level of boundaries needs to be in place to create our own safety if need be. And I was thinking along the lines of boundaries and once 
the safety starts beginning to create within the relationship in the early recovery, the couple can create healthy and safety boundaries together as a couple. So while they each have their own individual boundaries, they can create these relational boundaries. I feel like the one with sexual integrity issues should lead this discussion, but he can create a space for her needs to be met through these boundaries of the relationship. And what I'm saying with that is, or what that would look like is, what do you need from me whenever I'm at work? Or what what do you need from me whenever I am out away from you? And what is going to be healthy for both my healing and your healing? And what do those boundaries look like? And so them coming together to create those, I've said it in the earlier episodes, but two are better than one. So whenever you have two behind the same agenda, you guys have more power and more strength in that situation. So creating those boundaries together when the safety is good. And then also individual boundary work is huge for the one with sexual integrity issues. Yeah. I love the way you described that the two is better than one. And I think that as we're, as we're doing our own individual work, we become whole and complete in and of ourselves as we connect with ourselves and connect with God and two whole individuals come together to create this beautiful dynamic in a relationship that is interdependent we're coming and we're adding to each other, not coming because we need something from the other one in order to survive, but we come and we add to each other. And that creates that beautiful interdependent dynamic in a relationship, which boundaries create connection, not division. And I think that's something that we need to remember is that boundaries are there for connection, not for division. I think that boundaries sometimes get a bad rap especially when you're new to boundaries, if you never really dug into what boundaries look like, it's easy to have that conception around them that they create division. And it's actually the opposite. They create an environment for connection and deeper level of intimacy. And the safety piece that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. the boundaries coming in to create that safety. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so hopefully this gives you a really good look at the beginning of what it takes to even start to heal after betrayal. And we look forward to following up on a deeper level in some of these areas of what creating safety looks like in future episodes. And we hope that you'll join us next week as we continue this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Choosing to Stay podcast. If you have enjoyed the show, We invite you to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Connection, empathy, growth, choosing to stay.